Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, episode 289. I'm Ben Rothenberg. I'm still at home in Washington, but much of the tennis world has already shifted down to Melbourne, where now 72 players have been forced into harder-than-expected quarantine protocols, harder than most of them expected, unable to leave their hotel rooms for 14 days because of positive tests for COVID on several of the charter flights from various places. This has sown quite a bit of discord and confusion into the Australian Open lead-up, and the players are getting quite a bit of heat uh, in Australia for comments that are being viewed as ungrateful complaints from potential disease spreaders, especially since, as we talked about on the show previous episodes, Melbournians and Victorians have prided themselves on enduring ultra-strict lockdowns that got the state down to its current zero cases of community spread for the last 11 days or so. So to get a better sense of the field down there, how it's all going in the quarantine hotels, I'm joined in this episode by ATP player Taro Daniel, a Japanese player who is one of the 72 players in the hard 14-day quarantine. Taro joined from his hotel room in Melbourne. You'll reliably be able to find him there for the next 10 days, and we talked about a whole range of stuff. Audio quality on this one isn't perfect, my fault, but hopefully nothing that detracts from the listen significantly, and hope you enjoy. Here's Taro. Taro, you are one of the, I think now I saw 72 players who were in Melbourne who are now in this sort of hard quarantine situation where you're stuck in your room for uh, 14 days, not being able to leave the room at all. I think this is now day three for you. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's the third day right now. How are you holding up so far? Yeah, for now, I'm good, you know. Um, I was, I'm actually more worried about like a week later. Yeah. Uh, today itself, I'm fine. I mean, I just started doing some training in the room, and you know, there's a lot, of, a lot going on on social media, and so it, it, it's it's not as boring as I expect, as you would expect. But I think you know, when things start to calm down a little bit in a few days, and uh, training starts get, get getting boring, you know, it's gonna be that's when it gets tough. Uh, that's when it gets tougher. Yeah, for sure. So, you, what kind of training were you doing? in your room, I guess, so far? Today, yeah, I mean, I still don't have any gym equipments in the room, mm. so I was just doing some body weight, like basic push-ups and uh, using my tennis bag as weight for doing some single leg squats and, uh, yeah, and then just kind of jumping around a little bit and I saw some players, you know, hitting the ball against the bed. Yeah. Uh, so I'll probably do that, you know, closer to when the when the matches come, you know. I was actually going to ask about that later, but like how I was seeing the video of like, I think a few players I've seen doing the ball against the mattress thing. I was wondering like how much that is like actually you think helpful training to keep, you know, getting a ball on strings kind of feel while you're in there or how much that's just like making a cute video for Instagram. I couldn't really tell if that's like genuine, like actually think this is going to help you on court type activity. Um, I think it helps in the sense that you're grabbing your grip. Hmm the racket that you're going to play with and uh, that you swing with it, you know, yeah. so for the actual feeling of the touch of the ball, I don't, I don't think that's going to make that much of a difference, but I think it, it, it makes a difference to, you know, get your hands uh, gripping again and uh, swinging a little bit harder because um, you can swing pretty hard against that bed. So, you know, maybe get some muscles working for that. 
Yeah. But I don't think your feeling in tennis itself is going to be great either. <laughs> no. <laughs> so when you're in your room now, are you like looking around for basically just like, how big is your room that you're in currently? And and how are you already sort of, I guess you're, you're in there all day. So you're looking around to see how you can use the space, I guess, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say it's about like 20, 25 meters squared or so. Okay. So, I mean, I could fit, uh, a stationary bike in here and a couple more equipments. So enough to do enough to do something. And if I, especially if I move like the sofa and stuff, then yeah, there's some space, you know? Yeah. And how about, I think you sort of mentioned this or alluded to this at the beginning, but just like mentally, what is this like for you being, being off, especially, especially cause this is a little, we'll get to this later, but this is different than you might've expected. It was going to be cause you didn't know all the way before that you were going to be in the room the whole time for sure. Yeah, I mean, I with the Australian Open, I was kind of expecting uh, the government to make tough, tough decisions like this uh, because I've seen, you know, I mean, just on social media, like a couple of few months ago. But when they were doing their lockdown here on their general public, I mean, they were like crazy strict. So, you know, I wasn't expecting them to go any easier on us. The communication part in terms of what was going to be the protocol when the person tested positive on the flight was they mentioned the possibility of this happening, but they weren't clear on it. So that's where I think all the players are feeling the frustration. But um, yeah, I did expect it. So that helped me to accept the fact that I have to do it. Because uh, if, I, if I expected that, they wouldn't make this decision then I would be struggling right now. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, just to get to, into that. So you, there's been some disagreement among players about how much they knew or what the expectations were for the, some players saying they thought it would just be sort of by section of the plane you were on, or if it was someone on your team that you'd have to, to do the harder quarantine and other players seemed to think it was more option. And yeah. And the language in the text that I've seen that was given to players was a little bit left it open. It was a little amb- ambiguous. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was like, there is a possibility, but the decision will be made by the government. So it was it definitely wasn't clear enough. So I can see how um, if some players were not paying hundred percent attention on some of the calls, and they could you know take it that way that they that they wouldn't be experiencing something like this. Yeah. So you, I guess you, your flight was from Doha, right? So it was one of the later ones that got the message that there was a positive test on your flight. So. What was what was your reaction when you saw the first, I guess, sort of news of the first plane? I think it was from LA that had a, a positive test. And and what what was your what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean that yeah, that's when the LA one came out. That was when I was more surprised. Was like like oh shit, it's really happening. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So then when that happened, I was like, oh, I mean, there's plenty of there's pretty decent chance that that could happen to my flight too. I mean, when you're flying in uh, 70 to 100 people and test every single person, there is a pretty good chance one's going to be positive. So, yeah. And then it happened. <laughs> and then it happened It happened several more times. Yeah. So we're up to, I think, four planes or so. It's hard to keep track exactly. I think you have four planes now. What was your reaction then when I guess you got the email finally after seeing these other ones that, it, that happened to your plane? Like, were you already sort of braced for that news or was it still still tough to to get well so i i it the news came out around 9 30 last p uh last night uh-huh. 
But then at like 9.15, I finally got the practice schedule for today. So then I was like, oh, okay, so our flight was fine. Yeah. And, you know, me and my coach and the guy I'm hitting with, I was supposed to hit with, we were like, oh, yes, we were able to practice. You know, we're so relieved. And then five minutes later, we, we got the email that, unfortunately, your flight, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, my heart didn't drop. I was like, oh, okay, oh, it happened. Yeah. Who were you supposed to practice with? And how, how did you pick somebody this whole unique setup there for that, too? Yeah, I, mean, I was supposed to hit with uh, Kimer Kopian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a guy I've known since juniors. Uh, really nice guy, you know, and also hard worker. Uh, he's been kind of in and out of the, uh, he's been top 100 once and kind of in and out of the 150 zone mm-hmm. for these years uh, so uh when we finished the qualifying in doha i just said okay who's like the guy i know the best uh from the from all these guys that uh, are going to melbourne and i asked him and yeah it worked out well not not anymore but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what, what sort of goes into your planning for when you're trying to pick a practice partner that you, the only person you can use for a long stretch of time? What, what are you looking for in a, in a practice partner there? Maybe it's different as a qualifier too, but yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, probably in, in this case, more than how the person plays, it would be more about if the person, uh, would be on time. How much do I know yeah. the person? Will this person breach protocol, stuff like that, you know? And yeah. Kimer is definitely not one of those guys who would breach protocol or come late to practice or anything. So that was more important for me than, you know, than how the person would play in this particular case. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not someone reliable. What, what do you, this is one of the things that, in terms of breaching protocol, I think it's something that people haven't been sure about with tennis players uh, in this whole sort of time. I guess, like, how much they should be trusted to do the responsible things all the time. Like what, what has been your experience to that as a, as a player? Do you think that, do you think that your fellow players are, are getting it? Are they, are they not getting it as a mix or, or is it? I think most of them get it. Yeah. We never shake hands. We never hug. Uh, we're, we're pretty good at social distancing. Uh, I mean, obviously there are some players or some coaches that really struggle to wear the mask properly, you know? Yeah. But most, most of the players are well, you know, are, are doing it, doing it well. Obviously, in this in this time, like where everybody's very aware of what's going on, you see the players when you when you break protocol, that gets out more than when everybody's following it, I suppose. Yeah. So there's definitely more guys and women also that are doing it correctly than those that are not doing it correctly. But yeah, you're right. The, the ones who sort of break the rules or get outsized attention than the ones who are for sure yeah yeah, doing the quiet right thing yeah in this sort of situation it's very unique situation being stuck in a room for 14 days in a row before having to play a grand slam event especially for the guys it's best of five um in in at the event do you feel like sort of helpless or resignation in this do you feel like you can still make you know the best of this or what is your sort of attitude towards this this tournament that's coming up now with uh and you have a lot of time to think about it there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in my case, I'm a lucky loser. So I, yeah. I just, I have nothing to lose at this point. I mean, yeah. Uh, but then at least there's like a eight or nine days b- before the, the actual grand slam starts. So that's a relief, you know, um, cause it's, it's not, 
it's not the most important thing to make the good result in the 250 or the ATP Cup before the uh, before the Australian Open. So you got a little bit of time to get used to uh, either just play the matches or not play the matches and just practice. But the five set part is going to be tough. I think there's been some suggestion to bring it down to three sets this time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how how uh, if that's going to be possible or not. But we'll see. Would you be in favor of that, switching to three sets? Yeah, I think being one of the guys that are stuck in the 14-day quarantine, I think yeah. it makes sense for sure. I mean, like, what is the hardest part of it? I mean, like, are you w- just worried about, like, losing conditioning or, or fitness? And I guess also, that's especially going from that into best of five, I imagine I've heard some people talk about, like, possible fears of players getting injured, you know, trying to, if they're suddenly out of shape, trying to push themselves into best of five grand slam. Yeah, I'm not that worried about uh, my, losing my fitness. I mean, of course, I'll lose, you know, very scientific stuff, you know, about the muscle mass and things. But I think tennis, it's not like uh, track or swimming where that stuff is absolutely necessary. Like, you need, you definitely need it. But you can transcend over it with your, with your mind and with mm-hmm. how you're feeling with the ball. So, um, yeah, I am worried. But it... I think it'll be fine, especially to, in the long run. You know, I think I think everything will come back to normal in like two or three weeks. But then with the injury, yeah, that's another thing. When five sets, when you're when you're getting nervous, especially, you know, we don't know how nervous we're gonna get during the matches, and then those things can bring more tension, and and your body might not be pre- prepared for that. Yeah. So injury yeah. definitely could be possible for many players. I don't know if, I mean, this is obviously not something they ever do normally during tennis, but I, I was wondering if it would be almost be possible to do something like make the draw so that players in the first round, at least, had to, players who had, were in the 14-day quarantine got to play other players who were in the 14-day quarantine. Because I feel like you would, if you draw somebody else in the first round who was in the same situation as you, you would feel incredibly more help, more helped by that and more even and less, more hopeful. You know, and I think the other guy would feel oh, the yeah, same yeah, yeah. way. I, was that something? I mean, if there is was a way to almost sort it into different categories or something, wouldn't that be a, a fair thing to, to try to do? Well, if we're making a draw, it's going to be pretty tough. You know, because yeah. uh, we've got the guys in Adelaide who are the top, top players. So they're probably going to have to play somebody who who was in the 14-day hard quarantine yeah yeah they're already better than us and they already have the advantage together <laughs> together with the quarantine right now so it's pretty brutal uh if you play uh dominic theme or djokovic right now but yeah i think i think another thing that's maybe they might try and do is uh bubble within the bubble maybe the second week of the quarantine but mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know how um it kind of it's going to depend on the test results the next few days and whether the person who tested positive was uh, viral load and stuff like that, you know. So we'll see. You mentioned the, yeah the Adelaide stuff with Djokovic and team and it all. I guess are the three guys who are there. What is that? I mean, obviously we know in tennis there's lots of different sorts of star treatment for top players and they get different advantages and bigger locker rooms or you know more resources, whatever else it might be at tournaments. But this seems like an especially big difference between the sort of stars treatment being in a different city and a different on different flights and different you know protocols more people allowed than everybody else who's in melbourne 
what is your what is your feeling about that? And is there is do you think there's like resentment among the rest of the guys about the sort of different uh, differentiation in, in the treatment and not like, clearly not everybody's being treated equally? Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty difficult to accept um, because I mean the difference is always there in treatment. Uh, but this time it's in the spotlight and it's, it does, it still doesn't seem to be getting that negative of an attention, the difference that they are getting, that the different treatment that they're getting versus what we're getting here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely players are not happy about the late thing, you know, because in this case, especially, you know, it's such a special circumstance, the advan any advantage is multiplied by by two or three compared to normal year yeah i you know I, I don't think anybody cares if they get to travel on a private jet and get free champagne service and you know stuff like that but i think when they get more practice time and get more balls to practice with and they can actually bring the whole team onto the court versus us when we can only bring one you know stuff like that does make a lot of difference you know especially when when the situation is even more difficult but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult topic because if I was one of the top guys, then it's also difficult not to accept the conditions that are given to you. Right. You know, but yeah, I don't know. Difficult topic. <laughs> it's not it's not clear. I guess that Djokovic had a choice. He kind of was told you're going to Adelaide. Like Djokovic, for example. Yeah. Was that, like, he, yeah. he wanted to actually, you know, come back to Melbourne and try and have everybody play uh, do the quarantine in Melbourne uh, to make it fair. But I think there's a lot of politics involved there with the states also involved and making it even more difficult. They basically, I think, kind of forced him in. Yeah, like you said, because they have the charity event, too. And it's also hard to complain when you're given that treatment, I think. Yeah. You're talking about the states. You've talked about sort of the Australian landscape of the politics and their crackdowns here and stuff. You seem to be a lot more sort of aware of the current events and the landscape of things. than a lot of players bluntly are, um, how, how do you follow, how do you keep up with this sorts of things? And it's important to you to, to stay sort of informed on all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of, you know, look at Twitter. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's probably the place where that's probably where the play, uh, place where all the information kind of flies around, you know? Yeah, I like to kind of just look a little bit, um, but also I'm not obsessed with the news. Yeah, the, most of the stuff that, you know, whatever happens, good or bad, most of the things are super out of my control. And yeah, sometimes things are exaggerated. Sometimes things are not paid enough attention, you know. Yeah, but I mean, right now it's very difficult to not pay any attention to the news because, I mean, especially in the U.S., there's a lot a lot of things going on. And oh, yeah. I don't think there's a single country in the world where things are not dramatic right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. Even here where COVID is, COVID is, it's COVID free. They have the Australian Open to talk about, to complain about. And in Japan, we have the Olympics coming up. And then uh, that's a huge issue over there too. So, you yeah. know, everything's very complicated. <laughs> what is, what do you sense? I guess this is the atmosphere in australia towards the tennis and the tennis players right now because there's been when the first sort of hard quarantines were being announced from the la flight and then i guess the abu dhabi flight was the next one a bunch of the wta players were on as a lot of them were saying like wow how am i supposed to you know prepare for a grand slam when i can't get on court for two weeks it's impossible which i think is you know fair 
Uh, but then, you know, they get a lot of backlash from the public saying, like, you know, quit whining, you're being paid $100,000, even if you lose first round. And not that all of them, most of the players did not plan on losing first round, I think people should point out. But how do you sort of balance or how, how do you feel about the perception of, of tennis in right now in Australia specifically? And if there's ways that like tennis players can sort of improve their uh, their image right now yeah well, i mean my whole stance on all this political and uh stuff is just to always put myself in the other the everyone's shoes i definitely understand the people that are get, giving the backlash towards the players but then at the same time they're i don't think that's the majority of the people you know i mean probably the more aggressive people uh say, saying stuff like that on twitter are it seems like that's the majority just because the people commenting are just commenting that. Yeah. Loudest voices you're hearing, yeah. Yeah, I do understand that sentiment, especially when they had to do the crazy hard quarantine during periods of four to five months. I can't even imagine doing that, you know. So when you've gone through that and there's a risk of another one happening because of entertainment then I understand. But at the same time, I definitely understand the players because, uh, you know, there there hasn't been an efficient communication towards what would happen with all this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of players have different expectations about the quarantine. So, yeah, when some the, some of the players didn't understand quite what was possible and then they're in this crazy situation, it's difficult not to complain for them as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, I mean... I, I get everyone's argument. What What do you think, I guess, more generally about the sort of state of, like, communication on the tour? Like, if, you know, if, if things, especially, obviously, if under magnifying glass during the pandemic, there's all these rules are changing constantly and rules are different at every tournament and everything like that. Um, you guys get, I, I've seen players sort of complaining about seeing news break on Twitter sometimes instead of hearing directly. A lot of times I, I can say that like there's emails that they're, they're also getting at around the same time. They're just not looking at yeah. necessarily all the time. And they just, if they happen to be on Twitter at the moment when something comes out, what, what do you think about, yeah, communication there? And is, are there ways to, to improve that? It, it's tough with, you know, it's, you know, the ATP being one organization, all the slams being different. I don't know if you're hearing like, you, you know, Djokovic mentioned again, he has doing its own sort of player side movement that he's doing is it easy to keep all that information straightened together or does it need a sort of overhaul to make it so people are better it's i think definitely this pandemic showed the that weakness you know the communication side of the whole tennis community uh professional tennis community um but then at the same time it's extremely difficult to do it well because of as you said how there's all these different organizations and like, especially with this Australian Open, like, we don't know who to ask, who's the best person to ask. It's, I mean, obviously better, the best to ask Craig Tiley directly, mm-hmm. but he's, he cannot answer to every single player's questions directly. So then we ask the ATP, but then they say, they say the tennis, uh, it's ten, up, up to Tennis Australia for this, this and that. And then, you know, for the visa, we have to go through Tennis Australia directly. Uh, there's no real one platform where okay this is it this is how you get your information this is how you do all your applications and and something like that's missing if you know especially when also when the atp uh updates us with uh news it's always sort of these kind of empty statements a lot of the times Mm -hmm. 
so there aren't there aren't information coming in where it's like okay we are thinking about doing this this and that uh please give us your feedback like that doesn't happen you know there's it just says uh please uh, yeah i think the communication part is definitely the part where tennis community will uh professional tennis players will benefit from the most and then maybe you know other issues can be solved after that but yeah, I don't know exactly how to improve it. That's the thing, because if there, there, there isn't like a, a process where this happens in order for the information to get to players, you know. Well, I guess maybe this would be something where, you know, it talks about like Djokovic's organization, PTPA, and I'm not sure, I haven't heard about, there hasn't been that much news, at least publicly about that recently since the U.S. Open, but um something like that could be just have you know communicate if they had full-time employees their organization could be really yeah, focused sure, on, sure. on communicating getting players that's the sort of stuff in other sports you know like union reps for various other yeah leagues and teams and stuff are, are really good at keeping players like full of information and knowing what they need to know that seems to be yeah a gap a gap in tennis i think i think the pdpa if it was uh it's still not established you know there there's no memberships or anything yet so if if something like that were to really be there then that would be a huge huge help for the players because yeah we we have very weak representation within the system you know we're very weak even within the atp which is weak against the grand slams <laughs> so yeah we're we're like the small we're like the smallest fish in the ocean right now uh, within <laughs> the whole 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 uh tennis system so yeah, something, something, a separate organization where they represent players' interests and interest a player's interest only uh, would definitely benefit. Uh, I think everyone, you know, because in the end, then players would stop complaining, which would lead to tournaments having better image and things like that. I think. No, yeah, it definitely could be. Were you in favor of of the idea when it was coming out, the PTPA idea around U.S. Open? Yeah, in the beginning, it was very confusing, but the the idea behind it definitely, I'm. For it, I think it received a lot of negative, quite a few negative comments in the beginning. But I think what I what I understand is that their goal is simply to just represent players, and they don't have any specific agenda behind it. You know, they're they're not, oh, let's boycott Grand Slams or a, oh, we're just for men. They just want a stronger voice for the players. Yeah. And yeah, I think we definitely need that. Have you heard any updates on it, taking any more sort of structure or anything since the U.S. Open? It's been it's been pretty quiet publicly. And it was even strange at the U.S. Open the launch because, like, they announced it, but it didn't really come with any details, per se. So it was hard for people to understand what it, what what exactly had launched or what to make of it. Yeah, so what uh, I think the confusion was there because what happened in U.S. Open was simply, uh, like, we signed a paper saying we support the creation of of this association. So we didn't sign any membership or consent form. We just said, okay, we want, we want an organization where players are represented. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Like nothing more, nothing less than that. But now I think, you know, I think Basic and Novak are trying to really set up the membership parts and I think uh, writing the bylaws, what mm. would happen, what the requirements are for the trustees that would work, that would work for this organization if it did get created. So yeah no so you have all this uh time i guess now in your in your room what are you what are you doing to pass the time there 
Well, you know, I think I'll structure my days, you know, so that it's not, it's not like, oh, I wake up and I watch Netflix and then I eat lunch and then maybe I do training. I think I'll do all the things I need to do in the morning, training, uh, if I'm setting up any interviews or whatever, then I'll do it, try and do it before or right after lunch. And then after lunch or later in the afternoon, that's when I'll do my Netflix and, Netflix and talk and- to my family and things like that. Yeah, and Netflix and relax, yeah. 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 Is it tough for you just, I mean, tennis players, pro athletes just are really active people i mean mostly you yeah. know really driven really like being outdoors in the sun and stuff just like what is that side of it like just from a sort of personality side just not being able to especially again with the sort of grand slam on the, you're in, in the grand slam city already you know you're in the same hotel room i think you're going to be in during the main draw probably so what is what is that just like to sort of have this sort of i don't know if you feel trapped at all or, or, or sort of locked in or, or if it's or more peaceful than that or, or how, you, how you're feeling yeah well i mean i, I i'm personally a guy who's who, who's not who, i don't have any problems being alone okay but i do struggle with not being able to go outside and walk around and ride a bike or go watch movies so that part's gonna be tough because i i never actually experienced a hard lockdown ever yeah because uh, I was in Japan the whole time since March, and they don't—they never did a, a hard lockdown. So uh, even if everything was kind of closed, you could still go out and to go to the, go to the park and do picnics and stuff like that. So yeah, that part's gonna be tough. You know, the window doesn't open in my room. <laughs> yeah, and then we're not allowed to open the door unless we're picking our food up. So. Yeah. Yeah, things like that are going to be tough with not having fresh air. And they're really strict about like the door thing. Like if someone you open your door, there's someone someone will start yelling at you, right? Yeah, I saw an article yesterday where one guy was getting punished for something, and I was like, "Whoa, the guy must have tried to run away from the hotel," or yeah. you know. But then when I actually read, the guy was, I think, just trying to fist bump the guy next to his room. <laughs> Hey. something like that and then yeah they got it was considered a breach of protocol so that's yeah, how not, strict they are here they're not messing around i mean like I've, i don't know how much you've noticed that in other previous trips to australia that you've had but like australians are like much more rules they're much more rules oriented than like america for sure yeah yeah for sure yeah I'm, i've used actually i've thought about you because i've used the the little video you made of the um the sign outside indian wells where it said tennis event canceled on the uh, oh, yeah. on the road sign i've used that as like a gif a few times when more tournaments kept getting canceled over and over so i guess since then since that indian wells moment like how have you sort of like had to recalibrate like your your goals your expectations you know for for now for your for your ranking also the rankings have kind of frozen so it's pretty hard to move up from this especially the section you're in a tough section too because it's like where every you know right outside the top 100 basically how, how have you sort of have you been able re- relaxed you take it easy on yourself is it more stressful less stressful how do you or does it feel like you're losing you know valuable time in your career i mean how, how do you how do you assess this sort of from an, from a from a goals uh, motivation point right now this whole this whole year past year um i'm kind of going through uh i'd say kind of a transformation mentally to learn how to manage expectations to learn to let things go that are not under my control yeah i never really worked with a mental coach before but i started doing it a few months ago and you know it's been 
a really good progress, but there's so much more to be done and not be so judgmental about my own results. And so, yeah, I think mostly I'm pretty relaxed about the ranking. I'm, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty well, you know, the last few months and, and the work that I'm putting in is good that I believe in. And that's all I can do really. Uh, and yeah, it is difficult to climb up the rankings right now because, uh, Usually, I think to be top 100, you need 550 points or so, but now mm -hmm. it's like 750. And I right now I have like 590, so I need to basically win a 250 mm. or make a final in order to make it there, which is a lot for someone who's... You usually need one challenger when you're 115 or 116 yeah. in order to get to 99 but now you need two, three challengers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just take it because I mean, at the same time, it's difficult to go up. It's harder to go down. <laughs> yeah. So you're at least not going to lose your spot. And I think in a way it's good to have this kind of two year ranking system. Then players, I think maybe they won't have to play as many tournaments a year. Maybe they could, instead of playing 30 tournaments, they could play 23. Then they mm. would have a more balanced life. Yeah. Have you have you found more balance in your life during this time? I mean, this whole like this whole stoppage, you know, everybody getting going home. I don't know actually, I don't know where you spend your your time, but people, you know, suddenly got off the sort of hamster wheel of the tour, it came to a stop, and you had time to reset. What what was what was that like for you, just mentally to have a pause? Good, very good. I think it definitely made me reflect, or not just kind of feel what it's like to be in the same place for uh, five six months, you know, and. I think also with age, I'm 27 now, turning 28 soon. You know, I have to start being more adult in terms of uh, with my girlfriend. Okay, you know, we're we're living together now. Um, what's the next step and all that stuff? You know, mm -hmm. until until I think a year and a half ago, I was still I still felt very young. But now, you know, I have to think more like an adult. Take everything more as like a business. The business orients you know, my tennis career, which I think will help me improve. Yeah, I think being in a place for, for same place for four or five months was great. Just to, it made me really see that what we usually do is pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the amount of traveling we do and, and just, I, when you stop, you realize how much nerve goes into playing every match. Because you kind of get numb to it when you're playing 30 tournaments a year. But when you come back from three months of not playing and play one tournament, you're like, whoa, it's 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 tough, you know? Yeah. So I, I I kind of reflected with, like, a pretty big self-respect after these few months. Like, whoa, these, you've been doing a pretty hard work, you know, the last few years. Yeah. It's one thing you started to say before, before we started recording, actually. I just want to circle back to you. You were talking about how different it was how much more, more strange this is this time being back in Australia than it was when the tour came back in, in New York. Can you just expand on that, I guess, a bit? Just like what, I think a lot of people might be, or maybe a lot of players are surprised at like the third Grand Slam back, you know, after the US Open and French Open, it's like kind of the toughest or it's that much different. Maybe they got used to the, the other model of doing things. Um, but like, yeah, how, how, just how different is this whole Australian experience to what you've experienced before? Yeah. Well, so starting with the U S open, you know, I think U S open was really great in terms, in terms of how it was set up for the players. I felt very safe there COVID wise because there was, they, you know, I think they canceled qualifying, which 
which is tough for the qualifying players, but that made the site have so much more space. You know, the hotel was pretty good and I actually enjoyed being in the same hotel with everybody else and eating dinner together with those guys, you know, which you mm -hmm. usually don't do in a normal, normal tournament. So it was actually fun. But then you come here, it's a completely different, uh, you're really not allowed to see anybody for these two weeks. And even if I was able to practice, the practice is uh, completely monitored by the, by the, by the government. And when you go to your transport, they come and knock on your door instead of you going to the lobby to go to the car. Uh, these are things that are tough. I mean, you, I, I, I'm obviously sensing a change of change in time. You know, like I, technology is gonna start definitely but they already are ruling our lives but they'll rule our lives in, in an even more intense way from now yeah. on yeah i mean but then i think here's going to be a very big uh jump from two-week quarantine to being able to go out without a mask and eating yeah. dinners without having to care about social distancing it's going to be so weird it's gonna be yeah that would be ob i would be like I wouldn't know how to do that right away because I'm, you know, even if I'm not in a country that's had the hard lockdown, I'm in D.C. But like, you know, still, I haven't been in a restaurant to eat a meal since March. You know, yeah. like it's it would getting it all back at once would be would be weird. Yeah. It'd be, un yeah. un I'd be like uneasy about doing yeah. it. But then also it'd be hard to leave <laughs> too if you, to get back on a plane and leave, you know, this sort of covid free island you're on. Yeah, that'd be that'd be tough. You mentioned, uh, we didn't talk about qualies, really, but so you played qualies uh, in Doha, which is where they held the men's qualies. Uh, different site, different continent, completely different part of the world than where you are now. I mean, I've been to the Roehampton a bunch, you know, which feels like a whole different world than Wimbledon, but that's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. four miles away, maybe. What did what did Doha feel like? Did it feel like you were at a Grand Slam? I mean, did it feel like that sort of same nerves and atmosphere and excitement? of, of Or did it feel like... Just something completely different that was sort of detached. I don't know if you played. Have you played the um, the Asia Wildcard Playoff for the AO? I've never be... played that one. Okay, maybe it's kind of similar to that event. Yeah, okay, maybe. I mean, if I was, you know, in, in the beginning, I was super against it happening in Doha because uh, I would have gotten in if qualies didn't happen. Right. So, like, on top of not getting in, I would have to go to Qatar to play a quali. I'm like that's insane, bro. But <laughs> but but then you know once I got there, everything was pretty good. Though I think the conditions were very similar to here. Hmm. Courts, the site was pretty nice. They added a lot more courts uh, compared to when I was there last time in Doha playing the 250. And it did feel like the Australian Open, um, you know, because the color of the court was the same. They had the same banner. I think the women's, I saw some of the streaming of the women and they didn't have the AO banner on their fences. Mm -hmm. So that makes a difference. You know, you got the full, um, full linesman crew. And yeah, I think it, it was a better experience than I expected. Uh, but it was still tough, you know, to expect to go to main draw directly and then have to go to Doha to play qualies for Australian Open. That was a hard thing, except but I was able to do it. And in the end, I took the difficult road into the main draw. <laughs> you mentioned the women for me to think. Um, you mentioned the Tokyo Olympics, too, earlier. And those sort of things get me thinking about someone who I've covered a lot in the last year is Naomi Osaka, who I know you're friendly with. What has it been like? I don't know how much time you're spending in Japan or around Japanese people in tennis, but like, 
what is it what is her sort of uh rise over these past few years been like and how is it is it changed you think the perception of uh of tennis in in japan obviously you know what k did was was huge too um but but now you know winning three grand slams now getting to be number one all the stuff she's doing off court too what is what is that whole thing been like for you to to see yeah i mean it's pretty amazing for me tennis wise how how quickly she's grown uh because it was 2016 or 17 when i when she was still like 50 in the world when i was like oh she's good but yeah i didn't expect her to win three grand slams within two or three years yeah yeah and then you know i just kind of i kind of lost touch with her last year or so because she became too famous (laughs) (laughs) she she used to be like this really uh shy a bit awkward but very pure-hearted you know Uh person who I think she's probably like a, a bit of a nerd with the games and likes anime and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she suddenly turned into a completely, I think, you know, very more perhaps enlightened or something. Yeah. Caterpillar turned into a butterfly kind of thing. Sure. Uh, last year and a half. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't really know what's up with her in her personal life, you know, but I, pretty admirable the effort she's put in with all the black lives matter the way she's really stood her stance in cincinnati you know yeah. i really respect that uh because she risked a lot you know and then it's it's a it's a topic in japan that's not taken very well hmm. because it's difficult for japanese people to understand the fact that police you know hurt people and stuff like that yeah so so they, they think that if you're getting hurt by the police, then you're you're really an idiot. Huh. Uh, so that's it's it's difficult because uh, they they've never experienced in foreign countries. It's the the police force is pretty different. Right. So so it's it's a topic that's uh, not well received in Japan mostly. So she but she still you know kind of stood by it and I respect that you know it's when she can really do uh, really stand. Yeah, like that. You obviously have a, or maybe people don't know you as well, but you have a multicultural background as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Japan can be a pretty homo- racially homogenous place. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that has that helped you sort of relate to Naomi more too, and, and what she's what she's experiencing, or what she experiences in Japan? How how she's seen in Japan and things like that. Japan, she's. I haven't talked too much about her in Japan, but I think with her, you know, I think probably the younger girls are more inspired by her. Yeah. But the more tennis tennis fans are more K's fans. You know, they they prefer, they probably enjoy K's matches a little bit more than Naomi's, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I think the younger players are more inspired by Naomi, and you know, yeah, I mean, with, I think being half black in Japan is 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 tougher than being a quarter white like me. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I basically look Japanese, so I never really got picked on for being, you know, half American. And okay. I actually suffered a little bit more in Spain in the beginning. Hmm. But in Japan, if, yeah, they, they, when I walk on the street, people think I'm... I don't know if they think that I'm Japanese because of how tall I am, but they think I'm Asian. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, but Naomi doesn't, I mean... She looks, she looks Asian, but you wouldn't think that she's Japanese when you see her right, right away. So, I don't think she really lived in Japan. So I don't know if she's received any. Um, not for lo- not not for long stretches of her adulthood, anyway. 
no yeah so yeah. i think most of her experiences are from the u.s yeah that's probably why the black lives matter um is with her more profoundly i guess yeah for sure Anything else? Uh, thank you very much for your time here, Tara. Thank you for uh, oh, yeah, no for for being up for. I'm glad you know. I know you have a lot of free time these days, but I still appreciate you you using some of it for this. Anything else? Is sort of your what when you leave? What will have made a successful trip to Melbourne for you in the end? Like what 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 is the sort of how do you sort of look ahead to every this sort of uncertainty of of what's coming on court and off court? Well, for me, you know, I, it's already a success. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I didn't get Corona for right now, as of yeah. now, and, and as tough as it is, I'm already getting a really good experience. Uh, this is a crazy story, uh, you know, for the history books. So it's 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 definitely not easy right now, but it'll be a good story to tell my grandchildren as I tweeted earlier. You know, yeah, and you, I think all these things also have people having conversations about what needs to be improved in tennis. And I enjoy talking about these things with players and it makes me enjoy the whole experience a bit more, you know, I think crisis sometimes it's not, it it can be a good thing if you're in it together with other people. (laughs) Yeah. It it, it can cause energy for, for change to happen and reform. So that's a positive for sure. Tara, thank you very much. For, for being up for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Again, good luck yeah, the rest of the way in, in Melbourne. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Tara Daniel, and thank you for listening to NCR. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Send us questions or comments there or at our email, remaining at gmail.com. And if you can, please also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash remaining. A few new or increased Patreon backers to thank since our last episode, Nick Sicardi, Andrew Meyer, Misa Miyagawa, Ann Worcester, and John Ezekiewicz. And then we have our Slam Champ backers we get to thank every episode. They are Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Thank you all for listening. We'll have more on all this stuff, probably an episode with Reem. There's lots more quarantine discussions to have. In the meantime, stay sane if you're indoors and stay safe wherever you are. Bye, guys. There's a world where I can go and tell my secrets.